Before I started my message this morning, I'd like to thank the people that came over here yesterday at our grounds work day uh, to help clean up our outside of our church. I'd uh, like to thank Bob, Carl, John, Mark, David, and his son Caleb, Brenda, Karen, Lexi, Carolyn, and uh, Doris, who was over here earlier in the week uh, working. So thank you to those people for helping out on our work day. Somehow Pastor Mark introduced me as Pastor Gary, which uh, some of you know that I did, did some services over at uh, Millstadt, over at Zion uh, Church over there. And the people would come up to me there and they'd say, Pastor Gary, Pastor Gary. I said, no, it's just Gary. Just, just call me Gary, that's fine. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate Mark's comments. Last year when, we, when the pandemic hit, I had just received a book. And it was called Kingdom Stewardship by Dr. Tony Evans. And I read this book. It was the best book I had ever read on stewardship. And then I read it again. And then, of course, I read it again. And the third time I read it, I decided, well, since we were all kind of indoors and stuff, I'd do book report on it. And so I did a book report on every chapter in the book. There was 12 chapters, so I ended up with a 24-page book report. And I also did some questions and some discussion things that I thought possibly could be used someday as a teaching tool for an adult class or whatever. And I also actually wrote up some sermons on it. And I, I gave them to Pastor Mark and said, what, what do you think about this? And he says, when can you do it? So uh, he liked it. And, uh, and it was really inspirational to me. It just looked at things a little bit differently as far as, as, far as stewardship is concerned. And so there's four main parts to this book. We're going to talk today about the foundation and the scope, and then there's an approach and benefits we'll talk about next week. So the first foundation is the meaning. Now, if you've ever been asked to house sit for someone or look after someone else's premises, location, it can be quite an interesting job. Uh, you're looking out for their well-being of what they have, but it's not yours. It's just yours to manage. When they come back, they take the ownership of that. And we've been charged with the same task of managing what God has given us as stewards. This is called stewardship. It's a managerial role, not an ownership role. Psalm 89 verse 11 states, The heavens are yours, and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. God owns it all. You and I have no right to claim ownership of something that is not ours. And once you clearly understand and apply that spiritual truth in your life, you set yourself up on a journey of understanding as well as a pathway of unleashing your fullest potential. But most people tend to miss this. Now the definition of kingdom stewardship is the divinely authorized responsibility for believers to faithfully oversee the protection and expansion of assets. Assets being time, talent, and treasure God has authorized to them on his behalf to manage. So if we call ourselves kingdom stewards, we really are believers who faithfully oversee the protection and expansion of the assets God has entrusted to you on his behalf. Now first, you are to steward your time. 
while everyone has 24 hours in a day, we all do not have the same number of days. God makes many promises in the Bible, but time is not one of them. James 4.14 says, we're not even promised tomorrow. So we need to make good use of our time. When the Bible speaks of time, it speaks of a boundary of opportunity. We are to maximize the potential contained within it to accomplish God's will. Now the second each of us has been tasked with is talents God has given you. These are called skills, or some people will call these spiritual gifts, that he's designed to you for his good purposes. Your greatest Christian stewardship is what you can get from God, but in what God, through you, can give to others. Of course, this can be difficult because we live in a me, myself, and I generation. But Jesus tells us something different in Matthew 22, 37 to 39, which is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now the third thing is God has given you treasures. This includes not only money, but tangible items over which you have been assigned. Now, one way to steward stuff is to bring it underneath God's sovereignty. Your possessions ought not to possess you. The problem is not having stuff. The problem is in possessing it. When what you have gets more attention than what you give to God, that's a problem. If losing stuff causes you more pain than losing time spent with God, you have a problem. It's not that we can't have things. We just can't be ruled by them. Now, the second foundation is the mindset. So I've already checked with Brenda if I could do this. So consider what would happen if you invited Brenda and me to your house tomorrow night. We are available, Brenda, right? For tomorrow night, you invited Brenda and me to your house for dinner. And we come right on over. And as soon as we come in the house, I go into your bedroom, your closet, because I don't like what you're wearing. I'm going to pick out something else. And Brenda saw the food, and she goes in the kitchen and immediately starts making something new. We all really do this, but it's in God's house. We would say, oh, no, no, we don't, but we really do. Because that's what we do. We give ourselves free reign to use and use, disregard anything according to our own desires, and ignore his rules, his guidelines, his designs, and his intentions. God has made it clear that there is only one owner of his creation, and we are not it. He owns it all, and he owns us all. Now, whenever a conflict arises, 
between ownership and your attempts or my attempts at usurping his ownership, negative consequences will eventually happen. Romans 11:36 states, "For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now we heard in our morning scripture, in my Bible, it's called the parable of the loan money. In Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Just as the three servants were entrusted with possessions that were not theirs, we are also entrusted with things which are not ours. The story is really ours. So which servant are you? The third servant returned the owner's money. He did not lose it, but status quo is not good enough when the job is to create growth. The master was not pleased. In the same way, Jesus will not be pleased with us if we remain stagnant in the areas he's asked us to be productive in his kingdom. Many of us have been given years to advance God's kingdom agenda with time, talents, and treasures placed in our care. When we stand before Jesus on the day of judgment, he will look at how much better off his kingdom is because of how we handled what he gave us. Jesus is coming back, and there will be an accounting. He will hold an audit. When we hear that word audit, we go, oh, he will hold an audit. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 states, For we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for all the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. He's going to ask us to give an account, and you know we're not going to be able to fudge the details. We're not going to be able to exaggerate all things because he already knows what we did. He's only interested in things that will, for his purposes, that will last. Now you may be similar to the first our second servant, servant mentioned in the parable, who doubled their talents given to them. In that case, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. If that's you, great. If it's not, watch out. You know, the third servant hid his talent in the ground, it tells us, out of fear. But the master called him wicked and lazy. The reason he was lazy, because he wouldn't even take the talent and deposit it into the bank to make interest for the master. But the master also called him wicked. And his motives spoke through the hole in the ground where there is no record. Only you know where that is and who it really belongs to. Thus, he wanted to keep his evil intentions secret. If the master returns, well, he has the money to give to him. But if he doesn't, he gets to steal the money if the opportunity arises. And that's why he's wicked. Now, in the same way, some people think that going to church is the total sum of my investment and in advancing the kingdom. I, I went to church. If you don't believe Jesus is coming back, or you really don't believe there's going to be an accounting, 
then you wind up being satisfied with a little bit of religion, just enough to be safe. A little Bible reading, a little Christianity, maybe some Jesus sprinkled on top. But what you believe impacts what you do now and where you are headed. Now, the third foundation is the motivation. We seem to be living in an age where people want God's blessing with, really without God. They want the rewards without the relationship. We're living in a day when people seem to want God for what they can get from him. They don't really want him because of what he's already done for them. Their motivation has shifted from desiring to see his glory to desiring to see their own glory. However, having a biblical motivation for kingdom stewardship is the key to carrying out your divine destiny to the fullest. Now, the root of biblical motivation for kingdom stewardship is found in 2 Corinthians 9.8, which states, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God wants you to be a wise steward, of all that he's given you because of heartfelt response to his grace. And grace can be defined as God's inexhaustible supply of goodness he does for you. In trying to understand how grace operates in relationship to stewarding your life's resources, try thinking like a farmer. A farmer prepares the soil and drops in the seed. Then God takes over. Similar to farming, God has revealed an invaluable principle which ushers in benefits into your life of stewardship. Sowing produces reaping through this manner. God supplies the seed. You sow the seed. God causes the growth. You reap. God outlines for us a way he has established of accessing his seed in Luke 6, 38, which says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be used to you. By, by this principle, the thing that you give is also the thing that you receive. If you have a need, make sure you sow a seed in the life of someone else in the same area as your own personal need. Now if we look at scope, the first scope is called structure. If you're an American citizen, and I'm assuming most everyone in this room is, you're living under a covenant. While not officially a kingdom, America resembles kingdom rule on many levels. Our constitution provides the framework whereby People live out their lives, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as set forth by the Declaration of Independence. Through its establishment and additional amendments, this document sets in place contexts and boundaries which we live. The qualification to access all these rights is by being a citizen. Citizenship grants you full rights, privileges, and protection in our Constitution. Now, God also has a kingdom. His kingdom is controlled by a covenant. His kingdom rule rests with the established structure of this covenant. 
His kingdom stewards have been established by him to manage various aspects of rule within this structure. And the Bible supports this. The Bible in Deuteronomy 8.18 states, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Note, your proper management of his resources is used by God to confirm his covenant. And Jesus later, like we mentioned earlier, talks about this covenant again in the New Testament with the greatest commandments. Now, the covenant is God's alignment mechanism. Alignment does what? It forces you to be straight, to run properly, to run smoothly. You cannot live in rebellion to God and expect God's presence in your life. If you are your own ruler, only you can help you. The church can't help you. Your friends can't help you. And God can't help you because he will not be second, only first. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2 says this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you, to test you, in order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Being in alignment, we are keeping God's commands. We have to keep God's commands in our life. And what? After all, God knows our propensity to forget. Now, the second scope is something called spheres. Now, mentioned earlier, house, uh, we all have boundaries in our homes. The reason we can make the rules is, well, it's because right now it's our home. But if you ever had teenagers... I'm sure they wanted to change some of the rules in your house or bring other people's rules into your home. Now, we live in God's house, which we call his kingdom. The primary overarching rule in God's house is that he reigns. He claims ownership and establishes the rules for how his house is supposed to work. Unfortunately, some people have come into the house with a new set of rules. They have decided there are rules they don't like. So they've chosen to bring other rules and other standards in their home set by Satan. Everyone now has their own version of the truth. But if we look at Psalms 128, and we don't have a time to go through the entire psalm, but it has four basic spheres in that psalm that talks to each of us. And the first thing it talks about is to the individual. Proper kingdom stewardship begins with your personal life. You must own his truth. When you align yourself under God's authority, all else will fall into place. Your first responsibility is to fear God. Now, the second sphere is, is, is the family. The family. We are to steward the family. Now, the breakdown of the family 
in our society is one of the major social crises of our day. And many of these can be traced back to the man's absence in the family. Now, in the New Testament, Ephesians 21-3, and also in verse chapter 6, 1-4, it outlines the responsibility and roles of family members. We need to fix our families, and we need to first look to God and then ourselves to do that. Now, the third sphere is the church. But in the book of Psalms, it's called Zion. Zion's another name of the church. It's a lofty word describing God's dwelling place. Zion was to set the agenda for the society at large. But we live in a dumbing-down society of God. Because we reduce his significance and voice within not only the church walls, but other places, society has merely reflected his reduced significance elsewhere. As a church, the church needs to be advancing God's kingdom down, down the field. It's great that we get together, that we have friendship, that we have fellowship, but we must be advancing God's kingdom, doing his will down the playing field. And the fourth sphere is the community. The community is, a, is found not only in the city and country, but it also includes the government. It's all supposed to be in alignment under God. Yet it doesn't take a genius to see that we lack this many times in our nation. Now we had a moment of silence this morning for September 11th that happened 20 years ago. And our country seemed to be really unified at that point. And it probably was unified yesterday more than it's been any day this year because people remembered that day and what it was about. But our country is really not that unified. And when God is excluded from the order of rule of land, chaos abounds. When God is not ruling our lives, kicked out of our schools, set on the sidelines by many churches and marginalized in our culture, what do we expect to happen? Now, the third scope and the final scope we'll talk about today is the strategy. Now, uh, I'll do with that. if you ever played the game of basketball, which I did as a, as a teenager and in and, and school, played basketball, you only get points when you score in your basket, right? That's the only way you get points. You don't want to get points in the other team's basket, okay? And it's like that with other sports, too. I'm not a soccer player, but same thing. Hockey, it's the same, same philosophy. You only get points when you score in your own goal or basket. And it's the same with God's kingdom. You know, these days, hard work has become its own idol. Busy is the new status symbol for our culture. I'm sure if, if you talk to anybody that you know well or you don't know well, sometime, somewhere in that conversation, I'm, I'm busy. I'm really busy. I've got to do this. I gotta do that. We all talk about being busy, but are we all doing the right things? That's what we need to be asking ourselves. Are we advancing God's kingdom? Because if we're not, and we're busy, we're not advancing God's kingdom, we're scoring in the other team's basket, okay? And the enemy's getting the points. Now, Jesus tells a parable in Luke 16, verses 1 to 13. 
It's called the parable of the, of the uh, shrewd manager in some cases, or a dishonest manager in other cases. But there's parables about two people, an owner who's called a rich man and a business agent or a business manager. The manager in the parable is making bad deals. He's losing money and failing in his task of seeking productive growth for the owner. The Bible text actually says the manager was accused of wasting the owner's possession. And needless to say, he got fired. But before he got fired, he said, what am I going to do? I, 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 I know what I'll do. I'll, uh, I'll make arrangements with the people that owe my master money, and I'll reduce their debts, and then they'll be indebted to me. And then he might give me a job because I did this. And that's what he does. And it's ironic that in the story, in the parable, Jesus commended the dishonest manager, but it says because he acted shrewdly. So while the manager was wrong in what he did, he was smart in how he reversed his situation. He came up with a plan to cause his future to be brighter than his past, and it was nothing short of strategic. Strategic is another word for planning. We all have to plan for our future because things will happen that we didn't count on. And we need to be able to recover from that, and you need to have a plan. You and I must learn to live on earth in light of our future reality. As much as possible, you must attach the spiritual in every decision. And Jesus seeks to teach us that through this parable, that our eternal rewards are tied to how wisely we use our spiritual influences. But as Jesus said early in the parable, in Luke 16, 11, these, these are real important words. If you're not faithful in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And before he gives you more, God wants to see what you are doing with what you have. In the same chapter 16, verse 10, it says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Now, we should not confuse true riches with wealth. In fact, one can have true riches while having Because money can't buy what we need most. Supernatural guidance, peace, joy, contentment, hope, deliverance, spiritual insight, and eternal rewards. These are true riches. And if you strategize the spiritual and bring that strategy and all the things that you do in the material world, you will store for yourselves true riches. To do anything less would be like doing layups in the enemy's basket. So we're going to pray now at this time. I'm going to use the same prayer this week as that I'll use next week. And then at the conclusion of this prayer, please join in the Lord's Prayer with me. Let us pray. Lord, you give us life. You give us today. We thank you for it. And we turn this day over to you. Have your way in our thoughts. Have your way in our time. Have your way in our talents. Have your way in our dreams. Have your way in our work. 
have your way in the use of the financial resources you have entrusted to us. Have your way in our words. Have your way in our relationships. Lord, everything about this day we hand over to you. Guide us because you owe us. We place ourselves in your hands. And in Jesus' name, we lift up his prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.